You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. If you can't watch Trooper and have a good time, we got to check your pulse, I think. I think we got to take your passport away and yeah. out of the country. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Ready, set. And it is Travis Cura and Brazilian Thai. It is semifinal Sunday right around the corner. How you feeling, buddy? I'm not running on all eight cylinders yet, but I'm pretty close. You're, what percentage would you put yourself at? Oh, 85. I'm hurt. I'm not injured. <laughs> it was such a flashback for me to the old days of the podcast. <laughs> Oh, I bet. <laughs> I, well, I kind of felt bad, but um, week one, I woke up Sunday sick, and curling was starting Tuesday morning, and I got home Wednesday night with no voice, went to curling, the Grand Slam event, and proceeded to, of course, drink double whiskeys on an empty stomach. <laughs> woke up Thursday with one of the worst hangovers I've ever had. We went back to curling that morning. Then I came home. We went back in the afternoon, and we sat in the Pinty's Lounge all day, and I proceeded to drink double whiskeys on an empty stomach until they gave us free undercooked chicken, which I ate a lot of. And you got sick? Well, I was already sick. I didn't have a voice or anything. Then we ended up at, at a local establishment with a couple of American curlers. And I showed up at curling on Friday for 10 minutes and went home. You were leaving out that you won a 50-50 one of the nights. <laughs> yeah, Thursday night, from what I vaguely remember or what I'm told, uh, I ended up with the winning number, and I was on national TV the entire night flaunting my check. <laughs> to which, which I lost three times. So eventually, my buddy's girlfriend put it in her purse and basically baby, babysat me the rest of the night. Did you spend all the money that night? No, but uh, they ran the, the lounge at curling like they do at Ryder Games where you don't pay cash. You had to pay with tokens. Well, they, to tokens at the old stadium, else. my friend. At, at, the, at old the old stadium, stadium <laughs> yes. So you have to go upstairs to buy tokens and you come back downstairs and buy your drinks. They let me run a tab at the bar. <laughs> and I don't know how much it was. And then we ended up at Bo's, and it went from there. And then I finally cashed the check Saturday on my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can take a picture with it. Yeah, so it got out of hand. And then, you know, Saturday I didn't really drink at all. I had maybe four drinks and went home early. And then Sunday we didn't stick around for very much. Oh, to be young again. Well, I, I wouldn't call myself young anymore. <laughs> Janine from the Grey Cup Festival will be joining us on the show in a few minutes, but so let's talk about the news from the last week. In the Huddle on the Two It Out Podcast. 
I guess we'll we'll go through quickly the games from last week. Hamilton smashes Montreal thirty three to twenty. Winnipeg beats Calgary twenty three to five. Of course, Calgary sat Bo Levi Mitchell. Buckley got the start. The Winnipeg defense was ball hawking, forcing turnovers, and they secure home field at home. Now this game was very cold. Uh, Edmonton beating Saskatchewan twenty eight thirteen was cold as well. So Saskatchewan goes east to play the Red Blacks. This brought up the debate again. Should the season be moved? I don't think so. Brazilian tie. Absolutely not. Like if you if you can't handle the weather in November for football, it's not a summer sport. It's fall. It just happens that we start earlier than the NFL does. Like it's it's what it is. You you knew about it. You knew winter was coming. It's like it's a big surprise whenever we get snow. I don't get it. But it, there's no reason to move it up because now you're getting into the holiday season. <clears throat> sorry, not the holiday season. Now you're getting in towards Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's just so tough to, like, you're trying to make it. Like, you want cold weather football. That's all it is. That, that's what I want. Um, I don't know. Moving it up, I don't, I don't get the point other than you're a little bit warmer in the stands, but dress for it. The Jays uh, had a couple deep playoff runs uh, over the past couple seasons, and the ratings were off the charts, and it kind of overshadowed the football season until the playoffs started when there was nothing but eyes on the Canadian game. I think... Uh, the NHL has cooled down by the time November rolls around. Uh, the the Jays, if they were ever to make it to the World Series, uh, it would be a month after that. Uh, it would affect the draft. It would affect uh, the Stanley Cup in June. It would affect a lot of things. So there's a lot of things that go into moving the season. I'd be cool moving it up two weeks. But either way, uh, the what the 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 playoffs would have been last week, and it would have been cold anyway. So uh, <laughs> two weeks, yeah, uh, it, it doesn't really make much of a difference in Canada where it snows 11 months out of the year. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the last game of the week, Toronto earns that East final home field advantage by beating BC 40-13. to Let's kind of do, a, I guess, an exit interview for the teams that aren't going to be making the playoffs. <laughs> this was absolutely insane. There was a story on 3Down Nation, and say what you want about the website. They do get a lot of information about the Canadian game out there. I, I do get the criticism when it comes to anonymous sources. Sometimes it can seem almost like a National Enquirer kind of thing. <laughs> sources say this. Sources say that. And I don't like how they sometimes... Uh, when they get criticized for stuff like this, they'll write an article explaining why and basically attack the criticizers back. Just put it out there and leave it alone. That's what I think should happen. But anyway, Drew Edwards does this story. It mentions anonymous Ticat players talking about how they don't like Kent Austin, talking about how uh, June Jones won't be back if Kent Austin is back with the team next season. This was uh, Kent Austin and his response to the criticism from players. Yeah, I, re- I read this story. Um, you know, we're all uh, disappointed in our, in our season right now. And uh, from the top down, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, when you have a season like this uh, and when you have to make decisions that, uh, 
you always should do for the betterment of the football team. Not everybody's going to agree with those decisions. That's the nature of the of the job that we're in. And but I think anybody that's been around me, uh, including yourself, uh, would would understand that I've always done things for the betterment of this football club and not to inert to my individual benefit. I've never done that. I don't understand the June Jones part of the story because didn't Austin hire him, bring him to Hamilton? It just kind of seems like there was already some sort of relationship there that Jones kind of knew what he was getting into. And then, you know, things continue. Caretaker Bob ends up attacking Edwards, calling him a naive reporter, calling these players cowards. There's so many layers when it comes to this thing. I thought that the drama was done in Hamilton, but it was right back this week, almost overshadowing the playoffs that start on Sunday. Like, uh, <laughs> this story I just don't get. Um, Ed Hervey was on in Edmonton when this, the day this story came out and said, when he was a, as a player, he would not have been anonymous. Come out and you know say what you're going to say, but you can't hide behind an uh, being anonymous. You can't hide behind that. So now, all you can assume is that there's a handful of guys that don't like the coach. Well, what is the coach? What or not the coach? Sorry, but the the president. So what is he supposed to do about now? How do you, how do you filter that out? Like you can't hide behind anonymity and just say whatever you want. You can't, it's like being a keyboard warrior. Granted, I understand why the player why there's players that don't like him. I don't like him as a fan. I don't like I don't like his style on the sidelines. But that's just me. But then, like caretaker Bob coming out and coming to Austin's defense and calling the players cowards. Mm, I I find it cowardly that they wouldn't put their name to it. And there is no denying the success from this team since Kent Austin stepped away from the sideline and since Jeremiah Mazzoli took over behind center. I think he has proved that he deserves to be a starting quarterback in this league. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He had uh, a great, great season since taking over, and he he lit it up to the very end. They could have, you know, sat him and just went with Everett Golson or whoever, but they let Mazzoli stay in there, and right to the last game of the season, he was lighting teams up. Yeah, well, and it's he's a different style than what they're used to seeing from Hamilton with Caleros. He's way more mobile. Um, you know, he can he can extend plays, create plays with his feet. Um, and like you said, he's proved that he can start in this league. Um, granted, all these games are basically nothing games, but you, you're still playing to win. You're still playing to prove that, you know, maybe there shouldn't be a competition next year in camp. You're still playing to prove that you deserve to be on that roster. So I, I'd say you can still look into this or into his stats and be like, oh, those are – Pretty damn good numbers. They might be onto something here. Yeah, that that about does it for Hamilton. We'll see what kind of changes come in the off season. Uh, Johnny Football. There's that. There is Zach Caleros. If they can move that big giant contract, and I, I the article also mentioned, and I think it's been cleared up by Edwards as well about C.J. Gable and John Chick getting moved. There was really big 
uh, salary cap implications with both moves, and I think Alex Green has done a damn fine job as Hamilton, so I don't know what there is to complain about that. And John Chick really he hasn't been what he was up until last year, even with Edmonton. So I, I think that actually looks like a pretty good move for the Tiger Cats, and I think the future is bright in Hamilton, and they should be back. I think, into the playoffs next season unless Mazzoli has some sort of crumble kind of like we saw from Jennings this year. Let's go on to Montreal where Cavis Reed says he will clean house, but he also says that they are not a mess. Herb Zerkowski, by contrast here, does this story with Nick Lewis. I know Nick Lewis is retiring, but he does not ha- hide behind being anonymous, and he says what he feels, and he's always been very honest, and I think very upfront with everybody, talking about the issues with Chapdelaine, who openly wanted players gone. He said he wanted Ernest Jackson off the team. He wanted Nick Lewis off the team, but... Cavis steps down to the sideline, and the team got worse. They ended the season with 11 wins in a row. They were shut out. 11 losses. Yeah, 11 losses in a row. (laughs) (laughs) 11 wins against. Yeah, that would have been awesome. (laughs) Um, uh, The Owls were shut out in the first quarter in 10 out of 18 games. In three more games, they scored one point, three points, and three points. I don't know how Cavis Reed can say they're not a mess. Maybe you don't come out and say your team is a mess, but you also don't say they're not a mess. <laughs> There's a reason he's not in Edmonton anymore. Yeah, there is. Right? And I think we're starting to see it. I don't know if he has a clue what's going on with his team right now. To say they're not a mess is one of the most asinine things I've heard in the CFL this year. Your team won three games. They were an absolute dumpster fire. You... You fired your coach, you come down the sidelines, and your team gets worse. So you have no stability. Your ownership seems like they got hands in the hands on everything, so you can't really take control for yourself. But um, when your coach doesn't want players you signed, maybe you should have talked to them before signing them, or maybe done something about. Nick Lewis, for example, being under contract, maybe you could have been able to trade him or straight up release him if your coach doesn't want him. I don't know why you wouldn't want two of your best offensive players and the only reason that you had a chance to win games, but there's also a reason Chapdelaine isn't coaching anymore. While I realize that Cavis Reed is not maybe cut out to be a GM, never mind a GM and a coach, uh, yeah. the story does mention that Cavis fought for some of these players to stay. And we go back 13, even 14 months, Bear Woods released. Look at the year he had in Toronto. Javon Johnson released, who has quietly been the anchor of the Saskatchewan defense. Nobody's really mentioning him all that much. There's the Ed Ganey talk, the Willie Jefferson talk, but Javon Johnson has had a hell of a year there as well. Ryan Phillips uh, was let go. Yes, he was a veteran, and maybe that one wasn't all that surprising, but he had a great career with... Uh, BC, and maybe he, he could have helped out Montreal, giving them that veteran presence. Donald Unamba let go. I believe he's in Hamilton having himself an awesome year. Deron Carter let go. 
You look what he like, did in Saskatchewan this year. I know the last three weeks have been kind of foolish, I think, having him on DB. Maybe they're just getting him tape so he can play defensive back in the NFL next season. Who knows what happens with that. It does take, I think, maybe a special breed of coach to rein him in and make him uh, a part of that team and keep him involved. But th- the list of names that have been let go in Montreal – make this team <laughs> they might have been able to finish first this season if those names weren't gone or at least utilized who knows mm-hmm. what they would have been with those players around because i thought their defense early in the year was fine and then they let go Noel thorpe which this guy should be in the league and i think he will be somewhere next season well there's no reason why he won't why he shouldn't be signed it's ridiculous that they let him go um but like you were saying that Cavis Reed went to bat for a couple guys that maybe Chaplin didn't want. And if you, as a general manager and your coach, aren't on the same page as to what you need on a football team, your coach has a better idea than you do. Your coach knows the players that he wants to fit into his scheme and how he wants to utilize players. If you don't see that as a GM, you might be the problem. And now the coach is a scapegoat there because GM's like, well, I'm the one that hired him. Well, I guess I get rid of him because he didn't win. But that's on Cavis just as much as it is on Chapdeline. But shouldn't a good coach be able to adapt his system to the player's strengths that he has? I, I, I think that shows that it's a good coach uh, when he's able to find ways to utilize these players, the way June Jones has been able to u- utilize Brandon Banks, who had been uh, maybe their special teams wasn't as good as it was a year and a half, two years ago. So they get him in offense. They they find his strengths, and he becomes a one thousand yard receiver for the first time in his career. Yeah, and it only took five years for people to figure out to get him the ball. Yes, so I, I think it's also on the coach to find ways to cater to his players' strengths. Some guys' strengths just don't like. It's hard to say because. I, I'm a firm believer in player roles. You have you have a Nick Lewis. He's your slot guy. You're going to go. You're not going to go deep with Nick Lewis, right? He's he's going to be your underneath guy, your second down guy, stuff like that. Um, it's just every football like your scheme. You got to fit to your quarterback. Granted, their quarterback situation this year was a disaster. Everybody thought Durant was going to come in and turn turn that around, and turned out. The, maybe we've seen seen the best of Durant in the past, but I I do somewhat agree with you saying that maybe you need to find a player's strengths. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't know what your player's strengths are by the time Labor Day rolls around, uh, or if you do know and you can't utilize their strengths in a way that you want to because maybe there's – Three other guys with those exact same attributes. Well, we got to start looking somewhere else. Let's move on to BC, where at the beginning of the year there was a lot of optimism on this team. Uh, last year, they beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a hell of a game in the West semifinal. Then they get smashed by Calgary in the West final, which looks <laughs> right now they're. They're not looking like much of a team at the moment. Uh, I know that, you know, 
their <laughs> last game like, really didn't matter can you to keep them. A, can you keep a straight face through this or not? Well, <laughs> I am smiling oh, man. a little bit. But you have to think that momentum means a little bit of something going into the West Final, and they'd want to at least get a win. I know they're, they're going to buy this week, but, man, if thought last week mm-hmm. would have meant something. Would they lose their last three games? Yeah, I, like can you remember a team hosting a division final, three losses in a row, absolutely no momentum? Like that? No. <laughs> like, and it seems in the West when Calgary doesn't win, which has been few and far between the last decade or two, um, it always seems that the West final or the West division comes down to the final weekend. You know, it it's a battle. Every team has. Every, every team that wants to get that spot has to win their last game, or they gotta they gotta win their last two. They gotta win out. Um, you know, Calgary's been home and cooled for the last four weeks. Uh, they haven't played a meaningful game, so to say, but like, it doesn't look good. And it, just another week off, it, it's gonna be rest versus rust for them. So back to BC. Wally Bono kind of had his postseason presser. Uh, with the media, and of course he was asked about his future, and he mm-hmm. said he doesn't know yet. He did say that I do have to make this decision quickly, uh, whether I'm going to return or not, and he wants to be sure. He knows it's going to be tough either way, but he also revealed some crazy news, I thought, during this presser. I did talk to David today, and uh, you know, David's very uh, candid about the fact that you know he will be the owner of 218. You know, and uh, I think that's something that, uh, you know, uh, is something that needs to be definite. Uh, we, you know, we need to have definite direction. And, you know, and, and again, it, it applies, uh, you know, with David, uh, you know, with the business part of your organization and with the football part of your organization. I think a lot of people expected that this team would definitely be sold in the off season, but David Braley has said, "You know what? Uh, I can't sell this team while there's this concussion lawsuit going on." I am quite frankly a bit shocked that he's going to be owning them through next season. And I just saw that he sent a letter to uh, BC Lions season ticket holders. There's a lot of angry season ticket holders, but he's doubled down and said that he's in this together and he's in this to support the team, whether, you know, they're with him or not, basically. Well, everybody was prepared for this ownership change. Everybody figured it was coming. Everybody oh, was 99% yeah. sure that Braley was not going to own the team. It was like when your grandpa's on his deathbed, you know he's going to die, now you're just waiting. Yeah. Right? Everybody's come to grips with it. They've said their piece. You know, we'll move, get a new owner. Maybe the marketing will be better. Maybe we can start drawing a little better, get a fresh set of eyes on this. And to use the excuse that he can't sell while there's a concussion lawsuit going on, I don't buy that for a second. I don't know how much money he actually makes off this team, but I I don't know why he can't sell it. I think the value of this team is very low right now, and he's risking it going even lower by staying on, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does he does he put all his eggs into the basket and gets them to be a hell of a team next season? I don't think you can uh, 
I don't think you can rebuild an entire offensive line in one offseason. Maybe you can, but how does the he get... The almost did. Yeah. How does he get the value of this team back up by the time he wants to sell? You have to draw fans and you have to win football games. And right now they're not doing either. So, granted, there is, there is a section of fans in BC or Vancouver that are diehard, that are at every game... And they're phenomenal, but you can't have the the or not seating capacity. But you can't have the attendance that they do, and expect your your team value in dollars to go up. And now with the Whitecaps, you know, in the playoffs this year, they they've really turned around from where they started, and they're starting to become such a big draw that. The entertainment dollars that people are spending aren't on the CFL anymore. And the marketing just isn't there in Vancouver from what I can see. And it just seems Bradley's a little out of touch. And, yeah, like you said, he's he's risking a lot here. And I don't know how you get the value to go up unless you win football games and draw more. And you draw more by winning, and they aren't winning. So it, it's just a vicious circle right now, and I don't see it getting much better. And I actually think ticket price is a big thing here. I know you have to cover a lot of expenses as a CFL team, but it used to be by far the cheapest ticket in town. I know the mm-hmm. Lions did $5 kids tickets uh, this season, which is absolutely awesome. And you know what? The Western Final is coming up in Calgary. If you want to sit on the 55-yard line in the lower bowl, a face value ticket, which there isn't many of those because there is a lot of season ticket holders. I know that. It's $112 plus fees. I think that's a bit much. I know there is some promo codes and things like going uh, going on there to save you some cash in Calgary. They had a flash sale for $20 tickets, but... You look at the cheapest ticket in the house, as an adult, corner end zone, it is $47. And that that's as much, that's just under what we pay for season tickets on the 55-yard line in Edmonton. Granted, we're in the second deck, but ours are only, what, $55 a game? Yeah, that's the, that's the face value. I think that's right? where prime prices should be. I, I don't know the bottom line. I will be honest. I don't know no, how much money do you do need to make as a team. But I do feel if you're able to cut the uh, ticket prices, you might be able to make some cash in other ways. I know maybe teams have uh, different ways things go with keeping concession revenue and things like that. But I think prices do need to get cheaper in this league. And... It will get the younger people through the door. I, I, I think it's a great idea what they have in Edmonton. They have in Regina, Pilsner Country. That maybe some eighteen-year-old college kid wants to do something for the night. Twenty bucks gets you in the door. And I think there should be more twenty-dollar tickets because wouldn't you rather have forty-five thousand people there that paid twenty bucks than twenty-one thousand that paid sixty? I, I, I think. We need to do that more, fill the stands. They'll eventually become diehards like us, maybe. Maybe when they're older and they have more disposable income, they'll be able to buy more merch. They'll be able to do things like that. I think that needs the change in this league, and I know they got lucky this year. 
Uh, when it came to the Grey Cup in Ottawa, it's a smaller venue. I'm interested to see what it's going to be in Edmonton next year. The big giant venue, ticket prices are a little bit cheaper, but I think prices need to go down a little bit across this league and pick up attendance absolutely everywhere. I like what Toronto's doing with the East Final. I'm kind of ranting and just going off all over the place. The, <laughs> Preach, the East, brother. The East <laughs> Final. Like, they're putting a lot into this. Tickets are very cheap. I can buy tickets on the 50 in the upper deck for 20 bucks. It's on the front page mm-hmm. of the, the Toronto Sun. I'm here in Red Deer, Alberta, and I know that Twitter, you can kind of cater uh, your feed how you want by who you follow. So, obviously, I follow a ton of CFL fans. But sitting here across the country, it looks like there's a lot of buzz with that East Final, and I think cheaper ticket prices have a little bit to do with it. If you want people to come, you have to make it affordable. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Granted, the NHL is a monster in and of its own that you can charge $300 and people still show up. It's the NHL. There's um, so much corporate dollars in that as well. Oh, uh, yes, for sure. How it's, many people do you think go to an Oiler game that any given night maybe had tickets from their company? You know? <laughs> uh, I, every game I went to last year were free tickets. I bet you damn well near half the arena got free tickets. Yeah. Like I, I went to four games last year. And I didn't pay for a single ticket. Yeah. The, now, the, granted, I had to pay eleven fifty for a beer. <laughs> yeah, that's garbage. But I mean, I'm paying nine twenty five for a tall boy at at Esmo Games, and the price point for where we are, and you know the entertainment that you get. I'm not complaining. No, I'm not at all. I, um, I agree with there you. Are, there are teams that charge too much. Um, and when they do get to host a great cup, they see it as a way to uh, recoup revenue. Yeah. So that's why you see the inflated prices. So I'm like the thing with Edmonton, it's a 60,000 seat stadium. I'm kind of worried about next year. Um, In 2010, they sold out on day one. Yeah. So you think that happens again. No, I don't. I, I, I that was seven years ago. Uh, be eight years ago now. By the time it rolls around, it, that's going to be a tough sell. Um, you know, the economy is going to have a lot to do with that. Uh, maybe people in Edmonton are going to be the ones that have to drive those those ticket sales. I think um, it's going to be tough for a lot of people to. Like I know there is people that make this is their one trip a year, and those people are still going to come. Um, but I I don't know. It it also too depends on the host team. If Edmonton is even in contention, those ticket sales could go insane. I don't think it goes insane on day one, um, unless maybe Edmonton wins in two weeks and then everybody just gets all high and mighty and figure they're going to repeat. But. <sighs> It's 60,000 seats. I'm surprised the price point's where it's at. Maybe they're looking at if they can sell it out, they'll they'll make enough money to recoup revenue, but I I don't see it selling out. I hope it does. I It's not going to sell out on day 1. If it does, it's going to take a while, I think. I do think it sells out. We'll see when it sells out, but I have faith that it'll sell out. You, you're able to pull from Calgary and Regina and even Winnipeg, uh, I think, will make the trek easily uh, to Edmonton, even people that don't go all the time for the Grey Cup. I do think society's changing a little bit. It was an event in the 70s and 80s. People weren't... Uh, 
scared of going outside in November and watching mm-hmm. a football game. Now uh, people would rather stay home. And those people that maybe are still willing or would have been 10 years ago or just quite frankly maybe getting a, a little bit old and don't want to sit outside in the cold and I, I don't blame that in 40 years I don't know if I'll be sitting outside at the end of November uh, at the Grey Cup either. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it another 40 years <laughs> staying with Edmonton I found this absolutely insane Armando Sewell trashes Brandon Bridge during a halftime interview in Regina. Well, Brandon Bridge is not though. He's just going to scramble around and try to make up backyard plays down the field. So hopefully, you know, when you throw one of those little wild passes, he's throwing down the field when them DBs pick it up and run it back to the house. It's going to happen before this game is over. <laughs> and not, you know, 10 minutes later, Bridge makes this crazy, quote-unquote, backyard play, connects with the receiver, but... I want to see these guys play in the Grey Cup now, Edmonton and Saskatchewan, because uh, the war of words continued on uh, Twitter. It was, <laughs> I was shocked. I thought Sewell was kind of a quieter guy, but they knocked it out of the park by having him on for the halftime interview. Well, yeah, so the guy scrambles around and you, you call him out basically and say, well, one of our DBs is going to get a pick six off this guy. <laughs> Now you're really putting a lot of pressure on your defense. Yeah. <laughs> right? Don't think they don't know what you said. Um, it, that just – I get it. They won the game, but I I just don't like giving teams bulletin board material, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, you, you do uh, give them a bit of bulletin board material with that. Now, before we get to Janine and talk about this Sunday's games, uh, the CFL announced their divisional all-stars on Wednesday. If you want to see the full list, facebook.com, uh, get on uh, the 2 and Out CFL podcast uh, Facebook page there. They're up there, but no real surprises here. Of course, there's you know some debate here and there that can happen. I am happy that Sergio Castillo gets in. On the Eastern uh, special teams side of things, that makes me happy. Uh, I figured it would. <laughs> Mike Riley's your quarterback in the West, and Ricky Ray's your quarterback in the East. That is probably the MOP battle when it comes down to Grey Cup week, and I think it has to be Mike Riley, doesn't it? They're 12-6. and six. It has to be. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's... <laughs> I get it. Ricky Ricky Ray finished first at nine and nine in a weak division. Granted, but Mike Riley is just—he was a man possessed this season. Sure, they had that six game lose or seven game losing streak, but like, he put the team on his shoulders and held them up for that seven game winning streak when everybody was ravaged by injury. Like without Mike Riley, there's no way this team makes the playoffs. Yeah, it Just was <laughs> based on those first seven games without Mike Riley, they might be two and five in those. Yeah, I, I totally think you're right. Now let's welcome Janine to the show uh, from the Great Cup Festival. First of all, Janine, I got to ask you, how you feeling about this Sunday, Rough Riders and Red Blacks? Oh, we've got a bit of a rivalry going on this Sunday, don't we, guys? I'm really excited about Sunday. I think it's going to be like we've seen two great, exciting, come from behind wins one for either team uh, in the regular season. So I think this is a pretty evenly matched uh, a pretty evenly matched playoff game. I think we're in for some pretty exciting football on Sunday. You are undefeated against Saskatchewan with your starting quarterback. 
So we are, we are. <laughs> I will, I will put that in our in our pro category over here. But it's going to be, uh, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how many Saskatchewan Rough Riders fans are in the stands because you guys know, you guys travel well. You're everywhere. You're just everywhere. So, <laughs> so I'm expecting some people who would normally show up in red and black to actually show up in green this time around. It'll be interesting to see. Is Ottawa the same as you know? I guess not to the same scale as Calgary but kind of like a lot of Saskatchewan transplants that uh, when the riders come to town, they switch their colors to their true colors? Yeah, Ottawa is one of these towns where I've been here 23 years and I still have met, probably, I can count on like one hand how many people I've met who are actually born and raised here. So Ottawa wow. is full of expats from everywhere else. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm actually bringing a riders fan with me because my husband will be away this weekend, so I'm bringing a Riders fan. So, if my buddy, my good buddy Pat is listening, I hope we're still friends on Sunday at 4:05 p.m. <laughs> and how's the city? Uh, you know, the Grey Cup Festival is right. You know, two weeks away. Is the focus kind of like just on getting the Red Blacks to the Grey Cup game, or how's the how's the city with the buzz regarding to the festival? Well, no doubt about it, the city will wants more than anything to have yeah. the Red Blacks uh, the Red Blacks be in the game. I mean, you remember what it was like in 2013, right, when mm-hmm. you had uh, Saskatchewan, when the Grey Cup was in Saskatchewan and the Riders, uh, the Riders were in it and, and won it. It's, it's an electrifying feeling as a fan. So no doubt about it, we're all, uh, our nation is very, very, very hopeful about, uh, about the Red Blacks getting in. And I think we feel pretty optimistic about our chances given the upswing that we've been on at the back end of the season, despite some, some pretty rough bumps along the way. But regardless, I mean, the Grey Cup is, is all about inviting the rest of Canada into your backyard. And I just can't think of a better city to have this in on Canada's 150th year. Uh, so we're pretty excited to have you guys in our town and to show you what Ottawa what Ottawa is made of. It's going to be a great, great, great week. And, you know, I think we started to see this more last year, but I think this year it's kind of blown up. It's really inclusive, and there is something for absolutely everybody during Grey Cup Week in Ottawa. Was there kind of like an, an effort to make sure that that happened this year around, or has it kind of just happened organically a little bit? No, there was a definite effort, I have to say, uh, and it's probably one of the things that we as an organizing committee are the most proud of is the inclusive nature of of this festival. And that's not to say that everybody hasn't been welcome at every other Grey Cup festival. That's not at all the case, of course. You and I uh, know that because we go yeah. to so many of them. But in this, in this year, what we really tried to do was find events that catered to segments of the population that maybe didn't come out to all the regular Grey Cup events um, and, and really try to kind of focus a spotlight uh, so that everybody would feel that there's something for them. Uh, and I would say that it was one of our big objectives was to make sure that this is a really inclusive festival. So you're going to see uh, a Capital Pride Grey Cup party uh, on the Thursday night. You're going to see uh, a Bring It In sort of youth-inspired event on the Wednesday where School groups are going to be brought into into Lansdowne and meet with, I think, Henry Burris is going to be one of the former players who's going to be there, and Moton Hopkins, who's on our coaching staff, just talking to kids about football and the cup. You're going to see the Gridiron Gals, which is an opportunity for women who want to learn a little bit 
uh, take a bit of a deeper dive into the strategy behind the game to meet with coaches and be put through drills with players. Uh, so really, we've done a lot this year to try to make sure that this is as inclusive as possible and reaches as broad of a swath of the population as possible. And hopefully we make some new CFL fans out of it because we talk a lot about it on these podcasts about the CFL needs to do needs to continue to remain relevant and bring in new fans. You're not going to do that by doing the same old thing every year. You've got to try something new. So I'm really proud that we're trying some of these new events this year, and I, I really feel that they're going to go fantastic. They're just going to be great. I think a lot of people kind of, you've heard the stories about the Grey Cup. I have definitely partaken in it. Uh, Brazilian Thai is legendary for partaking in stuff like this. <laughs> but it's, it's not just all about, you know, uh, getting trashed and partying hardcore. There is something for kids. There is something for everyone at this festival. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's going to be... Um, and, like, don't get me wrong, I've been to the parties. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good 11 years of great cupping under my belt. I've, I've had yeah. fun. But, but I'm noticing that as I'm into my 40s, maybe I can't do that quite as hard as I used to. So it's nice to know that there's a few other events that I can, you know, maybe slow the pace down a little bit. But it'll be uh, it'll be great. There'll be something for everybody. And uh, including podcasters will be welcome in Radio Row to do some, you know, to do some podcasting on the spot there with, uh, with the media. So even this is the first time that podcasters are officially being brought into the festival. So it's just a really great vibe and trying some new stuff. And I think it's going to have a real impact. Now, for things like that, is it kind of the festival with that initiative, the league, or is it a joint thing? I don't mind bragging a little bit and <laughs> saying that I brought the idea forward. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, you guys mean a lot. You mean a lot to the fans. And, I, and that was, frankly, that was the pitch. The pitch was, you know, um, the podcast community keeps growing year over year, and that's because it's so popular with the fans. And so um, giving you guys an opportunity to have access in the same way that, you know, TSN 1200, our local TSN radio station, has access to the players and the coaches as they're moving through, why not? Because you guys are really drawing in fan bases. So um, I knew that Brian uh, from BC Lions Den and, and Ryan from the CFL Horsemen had had this idea, and so I did a little bit of work with them and brought it to the organizing committee and brought it to OSEG, and I don't mind telling you that they, they pounced right on it. Everybody just thought this was a great wow. idea. It was a new, innovative thing to do, and I hope we're setting a precedent for festivals to come. That is so, so cool. Now, one of the coolest things, uh, I keep saying that this festival is just awesome and so well put together, but it's... Canada 150, Grey Cup 105 in the nation's capital, and the entertainment is 100% homegrown and Canadian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that is, I think, a really special thing this year, too. And again, I, I, have, I have no problems with having non-Canadian acts come, uh, but in, in Canada's 150th, it just felt right to us as an organizing committee to really showcase the talent, the massive talent that we have across this country. Um, and so, you know, Shania Twain at the halftime show, is there any more, uh, is there any more sort of award-winning Canadian who really put, who really put herself out there on the map and put this country on the map? Whether you're a country music fan or not, no one can deny 
how important she has been to the music scene in this country uh, and internationally. So that was a huge get, of course, for the halftime show. Um, and then the concert series, we've got a country music night on, on the Thursday night, which is Jess Moskaluk, a Saskatchewan girl who's uh, a CMA and Juno award-winning country music singer. Cheap wine uh, and, and cigarettes. Great song. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't remind you of high school. I really don't know yeah. what will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the Friday night, I'm really excited because Sloan is coming. And I, I mean, I saw these guys almost 20 years ago in my campus bars. So wow. that's going to be a bit of a flashback as well. And then, of course, on Saturday night, April Wine and Trooper, and I mean, really, could you ask for more Canadian than April Wine and Trooper? Canada's I just, official I, maybe party lover band. Boy, maybe <laughs> lover boy. <laughs> Man, the, Canada's official party band. If you can't watch Trooper and have a good time... We got to check your pulse. I think, as man, I think we got to take your passport away and yeah. out of the country. Like, really, this is just going to be too much. It's going to be too much fun. Just too much fun. I really, I'm really excited for the concert series. And I love what I love about the concert series too is whether you have a ticket to the game or not. These concerts are open to everybody. All of these events really are open to everybody. But whether you are a football fan or not, who doesn't love music? And again, it draws you in. You put all these different events together that kind of draw people in who might not have normally um, come to a Grey Cup festival. And so I just think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great way to drive new and diverse crowds into our little CFL quirky family. So, Speaking of all of the events and concerts and everything that's going on around, we ran into the problem in Winnipeg with transportation being kind of a headache. Uh, just, they had free shuttles. They were sorry to figure out just kind of what's the situation going to be in two weeks in Ottawa. Yeah, so the good news is that um, Ottawa is a little bit more contained than, than Winnipeg is. Um, and so it's you're not going to have the, the big distances to cover that we had in Winnipeg. And I remember what a problem that was. In fact, my shuttle to the Grey Cup game didn't even show up. Although oh, I no. shouldn't complain because you guys didn't even have real seats. You were yeah. told a pool. They didn't exist. So I really shouldn't complain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was feeling no pain by that point, so I didn't really so it mind. didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so there were definite transportation issues. And, and I, have to, I have to say one of the first things that I, that I brought up when they offered me this position on the organizing committee as the fan ambassador is we will not succeed as a festival if people can't get from point A to point B. So a lot of consideration has gone into uh, into how we're going to get fans from place to place, including shutting down uh, certain streets to normal traffic. So just, you know, just transportation can go up and down those streets, which is going to be really great for those wow. of us who are going to be going from, you know, downtown to Lansdowne. Um, and even then, some of us who might want to get some fresh air, uh, maybe sober up a little bit, Ty, maybe you want to walk. It's only about three or four kilometers. <laughs> and if we have good weather, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful walk up and down the canal. So, um, so we're going to have, uh, we're going to make sure that there's, uh, that there's not going to be a big transportation snafu like we've seen in some other festivals. And luckily, Ottawa's pretty contained. So everything is going to be close relatively close, like within three or four kilometers. So you're not going to have these situations like in Winnipeg where you had to get from the University of Manitoba 
all the way back downtown to where festival headquarters was on Portage in Maine. So mm. uh, I don't think we'll have the same problems this year at all. And the vast majority, I know some parties are kind of downtown, but the vast majority of things, there's the Nissan Titan Street Festival, the Family Fun Zone, things like that are all happening on Lansdowne, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And and. We tried. We did try, and we offered up. Lansdowne is a really great location, mm-hmm. and uh, if you guys haven't haven't been, I don't think either of you have been to a game at TD Place yet, have you? I have not. I have not. Well, you're going to love it because it's uh, it's a great new stadium, but the, the Lansdowne site itself, there's a whole bunch of restaurants and sh- coffee shops and, like, a burger joint and nice. uh, a Lindt chocolate store if you want to go buy some Don't chocolate. tell my <laughs> wife that. Don't tell <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble now. There you go. So there's, like, a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So we offered it up to all the teams uh, and said, you know, to the extent – to the extent that we can, we'd like to try to keep as much of the events located on Lansdowne as possible. So then, uh, so then it's not difficult for people to find one another and, and go from event to event. But the teams decide where they want to have their parties, and you know, price you know, price for renting out a restaurant must come into must come into the calculation at some point. So yeah. teams, for the most part, have found sites off of Lansdowne. But I think you know, I heard what you were saying last week. Um, Travis on the podcast about how it's good because it's going to force people to see other parts of the city and I think you're absolutely right there's nothing there's nothing wrong with the fact that there's going to be events that are located uh, in the market downtown uh, at the Shaw Center because it is going to give those people who haven't been to Ottawa yet a chance to see those parts of the city so it's going to be um, it's, there's going to be a lot to do and a lot of great places to see and uh uh, I'll give you a list of all the all the best hangouts in Ottawa, besides where all the parties are. <laughs> and I was just going to ask that for an out of towner that maybe wants to do something you know extra than the Grey Cup festivities, maybe going a bit early or staying a little bit longer. Are there any hidden gems or you know something that is a must do when coming to town? Gatineau. The Gat, no, the Gatineau Park. <laughs> yeah. Although the leaves, or, or you mean the Gatineau bars? I think. Actually. Yeah, he does. He does. Those Certain type of bars, 18. maybe. Those are good if you're 18, because it's 19. <laughs> the drinking age is 19 in Ontario. I won't lie. I went to. The, I went there when I was 18. <laughs> My personal favorite thing that I tell everybody. Um, uh, that they should really take some time to see when they're in Ottawa is actually uh, the Canadian War Museum. It's a, it's a fantastic museum. Uh, I'm a bit biased. I worked there 20 years ago as a tour guide when I was a university student, but back then, 20 years ago, it was in a much smaller building. Right. Now they've got a big, beautiful, fantastic building, uh, and it is, it is probably the best museum by my estimation in ottawa so i always tell people uh to go there and you know november november uh, end of november is not that long after november 11th so it's still you know it's still kind of um we're still wrapped up a little in the post remembrance day uh time at the canadian war museum so it's definitely there would be some interesting things to see uh but ottawa has changed a lot in the 23 years i've been here and it's now got a really vibrant vibrant just uh food scene. If you're a foodie, this is a great, great town. Uh, there's fabulous restaurants. We have one restaurant that was just profiled in uh, En Route magazine called Riviera, which is right downtown. So uh, some really a really great food scene and just some really neat little niche communities, like just going for a walk through, 
Hintonburg, you'll see boutique spas, you'll see barber shops, you'll see uh, little. Uh, this my one of my favorite places called Maker House, where you can buy like furniture that's made by all these artisans in Ottawa. And wow. we are the we are becoming a craft beer capital. Yeah. So if you like craft beer, <laughs> there are tons of breweries that you can visit while you're here. So there's going to be a lot of stuff to do besides. Uh, Great Cup, but of course, you all want to focus on the Great Cup stuff first and foremost. I do have to ask, I am staying in the, the Byward Market. I heard there's like this dynamite barbecue joint down there. Uh, you don't really strike me as a barbecue person, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I enjoy I enjoy good barbecue every now and then. Nice. Uh, there's a couple of dynamite ones. I wonder if the one that you heard about was the Smoke Shack, S-M-O-Q-U-E. That is exactly the place I've heard of. Yes, they're fantastic. And, in fact, they have a little truck that comes to games, to Red Black's games. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and they are a fantastic barbecue joint. Um, there's another one called Union 613 that's not in the Byward Markets. It's downtown, uh, but it's another fantastic sort of southern comfort food uh, restaurant with some good, you know, some good Lynchburg lemonade cocktails that can be had at both of those places. <laughs> so if you're a Jack Daniels fan, they're good spots to eat. <laughs> so I'll be loading up on barbecue and beaver tails in Ottawa. That's my plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How could I forget beaver tails? Yeah. <laughs> a thing to do. You have to have a beaver tail. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast, in, And I guess I'll see you in Ottawa in two weeks. Thanks, guys. Look forward to seeing you and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. It's everyone's favorite. Favorite game show. Are you smarter than two overweight Canadian podcasters? Pick the weekly winners in the CFL on Facebook or Twitter at Two and Out CFL. It is brought to you by SeatGiant.ca. If you want tickets for the East semifinal, the West semifinal, the West final, the East final, the Grey Cup, SeatGiant.ca. Enter the promo code Poutine. You'll get a few percent off. You will support two and out in the process. We start Red Blacks and Rough Riders. The last time these two teams played in the playoffs was the 64th Grey Cup in Toronto. 1976. Old-time Rough Rider fans, if you're old enough to remember this... Are going to be mad. You'll say that this loss was worse than 2009. As a Rough Rider fan, a green Rough Rider fan, this one is ingrained into my DNA Mm -hmm. that it may be the worst loss in Rough Rider history. They were 11-5. and five. They only played 16 games at the time. It is known as the catch. Tony Gabriel helps the Ottawa Rough Riders win 23-20. to 20. Gabriel is open in the end zone. Touchdown! Canadian Player of the Year. 
the Sinley Award winner takes him his seventh reception for 124 yards and no bigger catch in his life. Look at the time that Clemens has to throw the football. He beat Ted Provost, the safety of Saskatchewan number 10. Wide open in the end zone. And a great throw by little Tommy Clemens. If you're old enough to remember, sorry to bring up those memories, but uh, now it's 2017. The Riders are the crossover team, and I think we're in for a dandy of a game on Sunday. I don't know if this could get any closer. The Riders are 10-8. and eight. The Red Blacks, same record as last year, 8-9-1. and one. And I will say this, records don't mean squat in the playoffs. You either want to go 2-0 and oh or 3-0. and oh. It doesn't matter what your record is now. Both teams won one game. They played each other twice. Both teams scored 50 points. <laughs> Does it get any closer? It's a little close. Like, I mean... <laughs> kind yeah. of like, it's like, well... It's like, you know... They won, but they didn't. But the other team kind of won, but they didn't. So, it's... like You look at this game on paper, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, Deron Carter absolutely lit up the Red Blacks during the season for 320 receiving yards. William Powell lit up the Riders for 245 rushing yards. You think those two players might be keys to this game? I think the Riders, if they want to win this game, stop with Deron Carter on defensive back. He has more impact as an offensive player. If you can somehow get him on the field, naming Roosevelt back on the field, and Chad Owens on the field, things look a lot better for this team all of a sudden. The offense, I find, has kind of stalled. Uh, the, the quarterback play from Glenn and Bridge has been mediocre, and there has not been much fire from this team overall since beating Calgary. Uh, they beat Montreal pretty handily because it was Montreal and they lost to Edmonton just no fire uh, not as physical poor discipline you can't do that anymore in the playoffs and it needs to be fixed fast and it's not going to be easy in TD plays he is your best offensive player and you have him playing on the other side of the ball yeah like it, I get it because you know, yeah, it's not like he's he's hurt them playing DB by any means, but the residual effects of the that he ha- that it has on the offense with him not being a weapon, like you said, it's stalled. Um, they haven't had a a rushing game, so to speak, against this team either. So it's kind of hard to get a pass game going too. But like, yeah, like you said, Deron Carter has to be has to be playing receiver on Sunday. Now, the Riders have won four in a row on the road, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I know they beat Ottawa, and Trevor Harris didn't start that game in Week 15. That is a big, big thing here. But they beat Ottawa and Ottawa, Toronto and Toronto, Calgary and Calgary, and they also beat Hamilton in Hamilton when Hamilton actually was playing well. So... <laughs> they have become a good road team in the last month and a half. Which bodes well, especially having the crossover. Um, it, But like you said, the records don't, don't mean anything. Uh, it, it comes down to one game. What you do during the season, it basically just decides who you're going to play and where. Um, 
everything that happened, you got to throw it out the window. It becomes just a one-game sample size, and you just hope that that your team can execute. And maybe maybe they pull something from having such a good record on the road, which I hope they do. And of course, it would be nice to see Saskatchewan the Grey Cup, even though it's never happened. But uh, I don't know it. I don't even want to think that their record on the road means anything. The Riders need to get the running game going, and it's going to be interesting to see who gets the start here. Marcus Figpen ended up having a touchdown against Edmonton last week. Uh, You had Trent Richardson with his big game against Montreal a few weeks ago, but he was hurt. Cam Marshall is out. Keenan LaFrance is good in the cold and a good ratio breaker, allowing them to maybe play another offensive, import offensive lineman or receiver. It is a massive loss that the Riders ended up losing Brendan Labatt last year. Uh, last week. He can play guard. He can play center. If he needs to, he needs to play tackle. Uh, so they're probably going to have to bring Derek Dennis back on the roster. I guess he's been fighting back issues all all season long, so that's kind of hurt his performance a bit. It looked like all of the running backs were taking reps oh, in practice. I, I don't think we're really going to know uh, what Chris Jones has planned here because Practice today was only open to the media. It's closed uh, on Friday. Uh, It's only open to the media as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction they're going to go with multiple positions. Well, I think he's going to keep his cards pretty close to the vest. Um, You know, try not to give Ottawa a lot of chance to prepare for any one specific uh, lineup that that they're going to present. We've we've run into this with Bridge and Durant. Everybody's kind of on the page that maybe Bridge should be starting. Um, or not Durant, sorry, Kevin Glenn. Um, but Glenn gets the starts. And some arguments is that, well, now you have to prepare for two quarterbacks and you can't just focus on one. So maybe, maybe that uh, is kind of what he's doing with the running backs here because they need to find a running game. Yeah, uh, as for Ottawa, Sir Vincent Rogers is back. Uh, Joshua Stangby is back. Uh, you know, the, their offensive line may be a bit of shifting going into this one. For the most part, we know what we're getting with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Brazilian tie. Who are you taking? I, oh, I got to take the Riders. They're just they're just coming in hot. I know they lost to Edmonton. Um, but they're they're playing really they're playing the best football they've played all year. So I gotta stick with the Riders. I'm going to have some Ryder fans all over me for this, but Trevor Harris in his first career playoff start wins his first career playoff start. If I'm wrong, I'm fine. Uh, It's not eating crow. I'm picking with my head here. I honestly think this can go Uh, (laughs) 50-50. I wouldn't be shocked either way what happens here. The Riders are in tough. Ottawa is playing well right now as well. Their best football of the season. And we're going with an Ottawa band. Maybe one of the first speed metal bands. It's Exciter. Oh, feel the love. Oh, feel the love. 
I'm a rider fan, but I'm also a headbanger. I love that stuff. <laughs> that, that was a that, that's quite the turn from Alanis Morissette. <laughs> it absolutely is. Hey, I've worked really hard not to be biased on this podcast, so rider fans just lay off okay we're in this together uh we're on hey to- if, there, if one of us wasn't gonna pick saskatchewan who would have thought it was gonna be you yeah <laughs> it's, it's true uh we'll see what happens the east is not the easy road i will say that the east is not the easy road uh we're on to the west semifinal. the last time the eskimos played the st- the blue bombers was in 2008. It was actually the East semifinal. The Bombers were still in the East Division. The Eskimos were the crossover team. The Eskimos won that game 29-21. Glenn knocked down, picked off. Fred Perry will score. The first turnover of the game from Fred Perry all by himself. Oh, Fred Perry was a great player, but again, what a legend! Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is 2017. Now we have called Andrew Harris. I think the Eskimo Empire podcast has called Andrew Harris the Eskimo Killer. He is this right? 201 receiving yards against the Eskimos in their two wins this season. Are you questioning me? That is incredible. Here's the <laughs> here's the cool thing. The Riders have beat every team in the CFL this season. The Eskimos have beaten eight teams in the mm-hmm. CFL this season. The one team they haven't, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, it 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 all started. That, that's what started the losing streak. Um, you know, injuries finally caught up to Edmonton, and it just, everybody thought that, Oh, they just kept winning, they just kept winning, and they hit Winnipeg, and Winnipeg played a hell of a game, and Andrew Harris, that first game, was lights out. And he he, run, he ran roughshod over them and was, a, was able to make plays out of the backfield through the air as well, and it's just, to sweep a team is hard in this league, and it's it's even harder to go 3-0, so... I think Edmonton's, they got to figure out an answer for Andrew Harris. You know, you don't have to worry about Darvin Adams right now as it stands, so you can kind of focus on the run game a little bit more. And I think here records mean as little as ever in any game here. I find this crazy. The Eskimos are third in the West with a 12-6 and record. It was 2009. The Riders won the West with a record of 10-7-1. <laughs> I was I was in Regina for that final game, and that was a party. Uh, by the way, the Riders have won the West oh, man. once in the last 40 years, and it was a 10-win season. <laughs> they, they got absolutely lucky that year. But the Eskimos were super banged up in these games. They didn't have C.J. Gable. And Ladarius mm-hmm. Perkins was running for them. He had 49 yards against the Bombers. He was their leading rusher over in the past. In one game. Yes. <laughs> past two games against the Bombers. And the Bomber defense gives up the most yards in the league. The Eskimos 
move the most yards in the league. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Now, up until the last little while here, the Bombers actually had a good rush defense, though. And maybe losing Westerman hurts that a little bit. But the Bombers injuries, we talked rider injuries. The Bomber injuries are major. You mentioned Darvin Adams. Uh, Travis Bond is hurt. He was uh, out there on a limited basis with practice on Wednesday. Matt Mm -hmm. Nichols was very limited in practice as well. In fact, O'Shea said he might not practice in full all week and still get the start this Sunday. So Winnipeg is super banged up going to this one, and you you, kind of have to assume that, you know what, the Eskimos are the favorites going in. I I would hope so. Depends on where people are laying the money, if we're talking about that kind of favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, the yardage that each team gained in, in this season series is ridiculously close. Um, granted, it's a two, 2-0 win for Winnipeg in season series, but passing yards, rushing yards, your leading receivers aren't that far apart. Your leading rushers are ridiculously fall apart because, you know, Edmonton had all the injuries. Um Red zone efficiency in this season series was ridiculous. Uh, Edmonton converted seventy five percent of their second downs in this series during the season. Like that was that's a crazy stat. That, that's insane. Like it is in in, in the East semi that we're coming into forty six and forty four percent respectively for Ottawa and Saskatchewan. Winnipeg I thought was really good at fifty two, and then Edmonton at seventy five. Like it, it almost seemed like they were unstoppable. On second down, um, you know the the one thing that I will give uh, Winnipeg though they have six, they had sixteen quarterback pressures in those two games. Um, you you got to think pressures. I didn't I didn't track knockdowns, but that's going to put a lot of stress on your O line, a lot of stress on your on your quarterback who you can't have get banged up in this game. If he does, it's going to be scary for Edmonton. So. But like, it's just so ridiculously close between these two teams, except for the points. And it was only two games set up by 16 points. Isn't that bad? That is quite the stat. 16 quarterback pressures in two games. If the Bombers can somehow do that again, I, then they got a real shot in this one, and that crowd is going to be on their side. I think home field advantage means maybe the most in the CFL to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The investors group field mm-hmm. is absolutely insane with how loud it gets. I was in that stadium with like 12 Eskimo fans in 2015 and it was oh, bouncing. Man. It was bouncing all over the place that sound. So for the walk through that was ridiculous yeah. <laughs> how loud it got in there. What do you think the key to the game for the Bombers is here? I think it's going to be tough. The defense needs to force those turnovers. That has been their bread and butter for the past two seasons. At at Mm -hmm. the beginning of this year, nobody thought that the defense would be able to force uh, as many turnovers as they did last year, or at least, you know, force a lot of them, because last year it was incredible what they were able to do. I know they're without Mo Leggett. I know that. But if they're able to do that, Again, with T.J. Heath and Chris Randall and those guys, they they definitely can beat Edmonton. I don't know if they can, but uh, that's a big key for the Bombers. And to touch on that point, they did have two picks. They did. Against Mike Riley in the season series. Uh, if you're going to take the defense, which is kind of what I was thinking too, I'm going to say they 
they gotta establish Harris either at either on the ground or through the air. I would prefer on the ground because he can beat up a defense. He can beat up that front seven. You can get them to pinch down more, and it opens up. You don't have your deep threat in Darvin Adams as much anymore. But if you want a successful passing game, you have to be able to run the football. And if and Harris has proven that he can run the football against almost anybody in this league, so they need to start. They need to hammer the rock early. It's cold weather football. You need to establish the run and work off of it. And for Edmonton, they need to protect Mike Riley. I know it sounds obvious, but they've really done some different things over the past few weeks. Uh, running plays with Riley and uh, things like that, and I think that has really helped them out. If they do that, then uh, they're in good shape against the Bombers as well. Where are you going here? Who are you picking? You don't beat a team three times in the same year. Um, for Edmonton to win this game, their red zone defense has to be way better. They allowed five TDs in the red zone. Like when a pick scored eight out of eight tries, I think Edmonton figures it out and they end up going to the East final this or West final this year. Uh, seven <laughs> teams have won the Grey Cup over the past seven seasons. Mm-hmm. The Bombers are the only team that could make it eight and eight. And I don't think they'd do it. I think it's the Battle of Alberta in the West Vinyl. Eskimos win. The Eskimos should put their name on the line in this game. I know uh, Mayor Bowman in Winnipeg has uh, told them that they should change the name. Oh, how underhand. That is such a ploy by the by the mayor of Winnipeg because now he knows that you know CBC is going to show up as soon as Edmonton touches down, and that's going to be one of the first questions they ask. And it's just gonna, he wants it to be a distraction. And I love hey, it. Come on, don't the get, mayor. Don't get me like, wrong. You don't think Mike O'Shea called up uh, the mayor and said, hey, oh, you want to no, distract I don't, the Eskimos? I don't think O'Shea has anything to do with it. But I guarantee you that was the mayor's plan, is for it to be a distraction. It doesn't take much. I think it's a political a thing. Bit. You just have to lose a little bit of focus, right? So also a different Justin Medlock has to show up for the Blue Bombers in this game. Absolutely, than we've seen over the past little while. It's when he missed, what, three straight in Edmonton a few weeks ago? I I couldn't Mm -hmm. believe it. He can't do that again. They need him to be the Justin Medlock of the past, however many uh, years in this one. Now, uh, he's he's only 50% in the season series, so. That's crazy. That's tough. Enjoy your semifinal Sunday. We're going to do things a little bit differently next week. We're going to come out with two podcasts. We're going to do one right after the semifinal games. We'll recap and go through what happened between Ottawa and Saskatchewan and also Edmonton and Winnipeg. It'll probably be a little bit shorter than we normally do, much like this one is a bit longer than we normally do. Later in the week. Yes, (laughs) later in the week. Then we will do the previews for both the East and West final. Yes. The playoffs are here. It's a great time of year, isn't it? I already got those uh, butterflies in my stomach. I am so nervous. 
I'm just hoping uh, I don't have to work Sunday. <laughs> oh, playoffs in the phone would be the worst, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't watch TV at work. <laughs> awesome, buddy. We will talk to you after the games. Thanks for coming on. Follow, uh, like, do all that stuff. Facebook and Twitter at 2 and Out CFL. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. And we will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.